We're going to be at Luke chapter 20, starting at verse 9. Lord, we ask you to bless this time as we look at your word. We ask you to keep us in remembrance of you and all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 9, Jesus is talking in the temple. He's, he was challenged by the leaders, you know, whose authority do you teach by? And then Jesus went on to give them a parable in verse 9. He says, then he began to speak to the people this parable. A certain man planted a vineyard and led it forth to husbandmen and went into a far country for a long time. And at the season, he sent a servant to the husbandmen that they should, that they should give him the fruit of the vineyard. But the husbandmen beat him and sent him away empty. And again, he sent another servant and they beat him also and entreated him shamefully and sent him away empty. And again, he sent a third and they wounded him also and cast him out. Then said the Lord of the vineyard, what shall I do? I will send my beloved son and it may be they will reverence him for when they see him. But when the husbandmen saw him, they reasoned among themselves saying, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him that the inheritance may be ours. So they cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. What therefore shall the Lord of the vineyard do unto them? He shall come and destroy these husbandmen and shall give the vineyard to, to others. And they that heard it said, God forbid. And he, he beheld them and said, What is it then that, he, that is written? The stone which the builders rejected, the same is become the head of the corner. Whosoever shall fall upon that stone shall be broken, but whosoever shall fall, that it, it shall fall, it will grind them to powder. And the chief priest and the scribe that same hour sought to lay hands on him, and they feared the people, for they perceived that he had spoken this parable against them. Now this is kind of an interesting reaction for them when you just read this section in and of itself, but we're going to read another section that tells them why they knew that it was them that were being spoken of. So first we want to look at, start with this. It says, a certain man planted a vineyard, and led it out to some husband and went to a far country. This certain man obviously is God. He created a perfect creation. And there's two interpretations to this part of creator, and I believe both of them are true. First off, God created this world perfect for man. All right? We have the perfect oxygen content, the perfect land. You know, everything is perfect about this land, the right temperature. Everything is perfect, and it was created perfect without all the sins and all the stuff that we have going in and when man fell everything about this world was cursed not just man because man was given dominion he was the husbandman of the world he was given control of everything the animals were under his control everything was under his control and his sin brought a curse to everything Death was brought in, animals started getting coming violent, thorns on the ground, death, disease, storms. <laughs> All the stuff we suffer today is because of what Adam and Eve did. The other part of this was that God created the nation of Israel by giving the promise to Abraham. From you, all will be blessed and your, your children will be a great nation and all of this. So there is that aspect of this as well. Now we want to take a quick look. Isaiah chapter 5, starting at verse 1. Now I will sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My beloved has a vineyard in, in a very fateful hill, 
And he fenced it and gathered out all the stones thereof and planted it with the choicest vine and built a tower in the midst of it and also made a winepress therein. And he looked at it and that it should bring forth grapes and it should bring forth wild and it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, betwixt me and my vineyard. What could I have done more to my vineyard than what could I have done to it? Wherefore, when I looked at that it should bring forth grapes, it brought forth wild grapes. And now to, now go to, I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take down the hedge, therefore, and it shall be eaten up and break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down. I will lay it to waste. It shall not be pruned nor dug, and it, but there shall come up briars and thorns, and I will command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts, the house of Israel, and the men of Judah, his pleasant plant, he looked for judgment, and behold, oppression for righteousness, but behold, a cry. When the scribes and Pharisees heard Jesus' statement about this vineyard, they would have thought about this, this curse that God said, my people are a vineyard. And they are in charge of this vineyard, so they are the husbandmen. They recognize that they're the one in charge of Israel. And God is saying that they're the wicked ones. They're the ones not paying what God has asked for. And they understood this. They understood that they had made God's word a tradition to them. They knew that they were not being obedient to God in all that he did and that they had made new rules and added rules and all their rules had become just tradition. We as Christians need to be very careful that we don't try to walk in God by tradition. Just doing be things because that is what we think we're supposed to be doing. Now, there are many good things we do. We talk about them a lot. I encourage everybody to read your Bible you know, through each year. That is a good thing. But if you're doing it just because you think that that's going to make you righteous and, it's, and, and all of that, then don't do it. All right? If that's the only reason you're doing it, then it's a problem. We just sang the song, you know, that his word is sweeter than honey and more valuable than gold. Does it, do you really believe that that's true? Psalm 19 says it's valuable to us. It's, more, it's of more value. God's word is of more value to us than all the money and, and, and wealth that we can gather in ourselves. But if you don't believe that, then you're better off not even reading the Bible because it is just basically a waste of time other than the fact that God's word does not return void. Coming to church, as valuable as it is to meet with the body of Christ and to be taught and to, to gather together for fellowship is a wonderful thing. But if you're doing it only because you think that that's what you need to do to get to heaven, you're doing it for the wrong reasons. We need to come together and gather together for fellowship and for building up the body of Christ and being able to be at one with one another. All of these things, the Jewish leaders were building these rules. Come in, come to the sanctuary. You're, you're at least three times a year you had to come to the temple and offer your sacrifice. You gave God a 10% of everything that, that you got that year. You know, they had all their 613 rules that they did and then the scribes and Pharisees had added a whole bunch of rules on top of God's 613 rules, and you were expected to keep all of them. How would you like to say, well, to keep righteous, I have to keep 613 rules? I mean, we as Christians, we, all, we usually just think of, you know, the Ten Commandments. And we can't keep the Ten Commandments. And there's another 603 rules above, above that or that are in the Old Testament. 
All of them were designed to show us that we cannot be righteous apart from God's righteousness. And this is what's so important. We need to understand that we live by God's grace. We are saved by grace. We are kept by grace. And what ends up happening with so many people that are really Christians is they get, they get saved by grace. They know that they need Jesus Christ to get saved. And then they somehow think that they're going to keep themselves by following laws and rules. No, we don't keep ourselves by following laws and rules. Now, as God changes us from the inside, we will keep his rules and laws. We will enjoy spending time in the word. We will enjoy spending time with his people. We will enjoy, you know, keeping our mind focused on heaven. You know, we are to think about heavenly things. And that doesn't mean that we're thinking about heaven. It thinks, means that we think about what God tells us to think about. The world gets us thinking about all kinds of crazy things. It gets us worried about how we're going to pay our bills, how we're going to survive, where our next meal's coming from, how we're going to stay in style, how we're going to be getting the next job, all these things that we constantly worry about. But do we really concentrate on God? What do we think about when things seem to be going bad in our life? We all of a sudden start thinking one of the things, we either start worrying about how, how things are going to end or we start blaming God for allowing bad things into our life. Instead of looking at what God says, he goes, I've got a plan for you. Now, I'm not saying it's easy to stay focused when, on God when everything seems to be going bad, but the more we look at heavenly things, the more we trust him. And the more I can say, okay, God, I don't understand it, but I'm just trusting you. And that becomes very valuable. Jesus said the man planted a vineyard and went away. Now, this does not completely mean that God abandoned us, that that would get us into deism. God created the world and then abandoned it. That's not our God. All right. Our God does seem distance from us if we're not looking at him and following his word. And the world is totally distant from him because they are not his. They are because he created them, but they're not his children. And he goes, okay, I don't, I don't need you to, I'm not worrying about you. Which is why when we look around and we see the wicked getting blessed, or apparently getting blessed, we're going, God, why? Well, they're not his children. So they seem to be getting blessed. But if you get to know them, they're not blessed and they know it. They're not happy with all their blessings. They know that they are empty. And then when they stand before the white throne judgment, they are really going to know that they're not blessed as they're cast away from God. So we look at this and he says, God lent his perfect vineyard out. And all he wanted was, basically it says, his, his portion of the fruit, his, his rent. All right. He lent it out to them. He rented it to them. And all he says is, give me what is my due. Now, we as Christians need to remember that everything that we have belongs to God. We are just his managers of it. Now, that doesn't mean we can't have nice, nice things. We can't have a nice house or a nice car or whatever. We can, but we also have to remember that it is God's possessions that we're using. And be willing to give back to him what he asks for. And the minimum that he asks for is a tithe, 10%. 10% of everything that you increase belongs to God. That's the minimum. And anything above that is just giving him back some more of his stuff. So that becomes between you and God for the offering part. But he says, give me my tithe. And so he sent his, 
He sent out, and it says that he sent, and Jesus told him he sent three groups to come and collect the money. This would have been the prophets and the teachers. Now, the Jewish people, they had a habit of not listening to prophets. They didn't tell them what they wanted to hear. They loved having their ears tickled. And if the prophet didn't tell them what they wanted to, to hear, they usually beat them and killed them. All right? You know, you wouldn't want to be a prophet in Jesus in the Old Testament days because, you know, uh, if you were Jeremiah, we were studying Jeremiah on Thursdays. Jeremiah was always being cast into prison and beat and, and all that. He'd come, and, he'd come and there would be 20 or 30 prophets saying what people wanted to hear and, the, and all saying they're speaking for God. And he'd say, thus saith the Lord. And they're looking at him. Well, they say just thus saith the Lord too. And we like what they're saying. We're going to believe them again. And they throw them into and they throw them in prison at best. Jeremiah wasn't the only one. You have Isaiah. Isaiah preached for many, many prophets. And, and history tells us that he was, they finally said something that they didn't like. They put him in a log and sawed him in half. Yeah, that would not be a very nice death. Just for doing what God said. And over and over, we look at the various prophets and see how they were treated more often than not. They were beat. They were imprisoned. Jesus, when he's telling them, this first off they already know that israel israel is the vineyard they know that the husbandmen are those taking care of the vineyard and that means them and they already know that their leaders have been killing prophets including in their day john the baptist and they want to kill jesus whom they say is a prophet not the son of god so they're he's they're already understanding that they're being talked to Jesus has been saying over and over, the Father is one and I am the Father. So he's already claimed to be the Father. So they also recognize that he says he's the only begotten Son, the heir coming in. So they're looking at him and saying, all right, he is talking about us. How do you feel if you feel that somebody's talking about you? Whether they are or not, it doesn't even matter. But if you think somebody's talking about you, how do you feel? Usually in our human humanness, we want to get back at them. Or we want to find out what it is they're saying. Why are they saying what they're saying? They just said something bad. I want to get back to them. And Jesus said, you're out there to kill the prophets and you're out to kill, kill the son. Now, they're going to be very happy about this and go, oh, yeah, we're, we're, going to, we're, we're all happy. You, you can go ahead and tell all the people that we're, we're out to get you. No, that's not the attitude that they have. All right. And they're thinking back to that story where the husband, husband had the bad fruit and everything. And what did God do? He destroyed the vineyard. Jesus is going to tell them that up front that Jerusalem is going to be destroyed just as all the prophets have been telling them. That Jerusalem will be destroyed. And in 70 AD, Jerusalem was destroyed for the second time in history. The first time was under Nebuchadnezzar and then under under uh, the Roman Empire, it was destroyed again. They understood that God was speaking to them, or Jesus was speaking to them, and that it wasn't a good message. All right? It's one thing to have people saying nice things about you. Okay, say all the nice things you want. You can say them in front of me, behind my back. I don't care. But when people are saying negative things about you, even if it's into your face, you don't want to see it. But I'd rather have it said to my face than behind my back. 
because you never know what's going on behind you. And this has happened to me at various times in my life where people have done things behind my back and come to find out that, you know, they were tearing me apart behind my back. And that's between them and God in the long run, but it's still not not good because it affects people. And God is saying that he would destroy the unfaithful. For us, we need to always remember that there is a judgment to come, no matter what. Even if it looks like somebody is getting away with doing evil, the recompense is going to come. Usually in this lifetime, if we're patient enough, that's what I have seen over over 52 years of walking with God, is judgment usually comes within this lifetime. But even if it does not come in this lifetime, they will at the white throne judgment. And we need to understand that God is faithful. He will pay back the wages of sin. And also, as I've said many times, even though people look like they're enjoying their sin, usually they're not. If they're getting it illegally, they're always looking over their shoulder, waiting for the police to be knocking at the door or the next next bigger, meaner gang member to come along and take it away from them. Uh, they get... They get all the fame and fortune they think they want, and then they always wonder, do people like me because I'm famous, or do they like me? They get a lot of money and realize that money truly does not buy long-term happiness. Now, we all look at them from the outside, and they usually put on a nice face, and they're looking at everything is all good and, and, and wonderful, and, and we're all thinking, well, if I just had everything they had, I'd be, I'd be so happy. No, you wouldn't be. You know, if you really want to find something out, look at, look at the stories about lottery winners, big lottery winners. Almost every one of them wished they had not won the lottery because of all the problems it brings to them. And I've heard everybody, I've heard it all the time, well, if I win the lottery, I'd give 10% to the church. I'm going, baloney, you're not giving 10% now. You, know, you don't give 10% of that, you're definitely not going to give 10% of a big number. And, you know, this is something that we understand. We are either faithful with what we have or we will not be faithful with more. And God knows that. And if we're not faithful with little, he will not give us much. These leaders were not being faithful to God. They were being faithful to themselves. And when God spoke, they knew that he was speaking about them. They knew that he was looking at them and saying, you're not following God. You're not honoring God. You're not keeping his word. Yeah, you're making it look like it. You're throwing a lot of money into the, into the offering buckets. You're, you're bringing lots of animals to this, but you're doing it all for one reason, so that everybody will look at you and say, oh, look how, look how righteous that person is. If you're not living for God, then it's not worth it. You may look good to everybody else. Oh, this person comes to church. Every time the doors are open, look how wonderful they are. You know, uh, we don't have an offering plate you know, that we pass. We have the box in the back. But you know, there have been churches that pass offering plates so people can put lots of $1 bills in the offering plate and make it look like they're giving lots of money. You know, uh, I saw that sometimes with some, when I was a teenager. I had a guy that had a whole lot of bills and he had like a $20 bill on the outside and everything else was ones. Looked like he had lots of money, but he really didn't have that much. You know, all for show. We need to be very careful that we're not 
doing things for show. Because God knows the heart. And this is, he's the one we should be worried about. I don't really care what anybody else thinks about me. I need to know what God thinks about me. What does God care? And so Jesus was giving them all of this, and he says, what will the Lord of that vineyard do when, when they've killed the son? He will come and destroy them. Now, this is something that the scribes and Pharisees understood, that he's saying that God is going to come and destroy us if we kill him. Because he claims to be the son of God. So they understood the story. They understood exactly what he was saying. He says, he's saying that if we kill him, God will judge us. And again, 70 AD, the nation was destroyed again. And they did not come back into existence until 1947. All right, so there's lots going on there that they were long-term judged. And then after that, they, they said, when they heard this, they said, God forbid. Now, I find it quite interesting because, number one, it is mistranslated because it actually says in the Greek, let it not be so. Let it not be so. They don't even invoke the name of God in, in the Greek. They go, let it not be so. The question is, what were they, which part of the parable were they saying, let it not be so to? Let it not be so that we wouldn't honor God? That would be wonderful. I don't believe that that's what they were referring to. They were probably saying, let it not be so that we'd be judged and destroyed. That, I think, is what he was talking about, that they were talking about. Because these are the leaders who think that they're doing God's, or want the people to believe that they're doing God's will. And they're going, ah, oh, no, don't let, you know, we don't want to see this destruction coming, be, be coming. Now, it would have been wonder if they said, well, let it not be so. We're going to give God his due, due, due glory and honor. That would have been a wonderful thing. But because Jesus went on to the stone rejected, I'm sure that Jesus knew that that is not what they were referring to. They were referring to, don't let this judgment come that he said is coming. How many of us go out and do things that we know we're not supposed to do and somehow think that we're not going to reap the consequences for our actions? Oh, it's easy. We do it all the time. We justify it. We might even say, well, I can handle what I expect the problem, the, the judgment to be. One of the statements that I have fallen in love with, and I don't remember who said it, is that sin will take us further than we want to go and the consequences will be more than we expect. So we think, well, I, I might get caught and I'll have a little bit of shame. And then God says, well, we'll just wait till we announce it to the entire neighborhood, to the entire state. And it's like, well, I didn't want that much acknowledgement. Or I sin and who pays for it? My kids. I go, God, that doesn't make much sense. Why should they have to pay for my sin? Sin has consequences and the consequences are always more than we can imagine and always affect more than just us. You know, I work at the prison and, you know, it didn't dawn on me until I started working at the prison. But when prisoners go to prison their family suffers almost as much as they do or more. They lose the breadwinner of their house. They, they lose the, the care and comfort of a second parent. They, they get the shame that's attached to, being, to having a prisoner in, into your life. Uh, 
the cost of just helping them out because you have to put money on their books so that they can buy stuff so you're still spending money for them there is great pain to the families of these prisoners and I can tell you to a, to a man out there because the, it's a men in prison I don't think any of them ever thought about how their family would suffer when they did wrong but you know it's the same thing for us when we sin against God and God punishes us even if it is just us our family our friends suffer because of our punishment whatever that might be I've mistreated my money and now I'm suffering because God's, God's withholding the blessings from me and my family suffers because I do not, because I'm being punished. It happens all the time and this is what they're saying. God forbid that this punishment would come. Don't let this punishment come. But there is always consequence for sin. And we need to be able to understand that when we do wrong, there's consequences and we are not the only one that's going to be judged by this consequence. And we need to be able to say, God, help me. Now, the good news is there's also consequences for obedience to God. We call them rewards. We like the word re reward better, but there's still consequences. When I do right, good things usually happen, and then good things overflow to those around me. This is why it's great for us as Christians when we go out and we do God's will amongst people and we bring God's presence out there, you know, uh, it, there was a song we they used to sing in, in Sunday school talking about his joy overflowing and splashing like a fountain. Do you realize that everywhere you go, God splashes over everybody? If you're, in, you're on his side, he's just splashing out of you. He fills us to overflowing, which is also why people get mad at us as often as they do. Because we're walking around and God's splashing all over them and they don't want to know God. <laughs> And they don't really know why they're upset when we're walking past them and being near them, but they're going, I just don't feel comfortable around you, and I don't like, what's I don't like this, and all they're feeling is God's presence, and they strike out, or they are attracted. But we have this thing. When we go anywhere, and we're God's children, and we're in fellowship with him, God is splashing out all over. Have you ever been around somebody, and you just know they're a Christian? They haven't said anything. They haven't done anything. But you just know because God's presence is so heavy on them. And he's splashing out all over the place. And you go, that's a Christian. And you go talk to him and find out, yes, they're a Christian. We have that much influence in this world when we're following God. Now, when we're not following God, there's just as much influence. Maybe you've been, in, been around somebody who is so far from God that it is literally a demon in, in, in or attached to them, and you go, whoa, that person's got problems. We need to be in touch with the spiritual world and know what's going on around us because this is important to be able to discern what's going on around us. We are not of this world if we're Christians. This is not our home. And the enemy does not like us and we need to be able to discern what's going on and what's going on around us and look to the Father and know that our home is heaven. We are going home eventually. Now we get to bring a little piece of heaven into this world because we are ambassadors for Christ. And if you know anything about ambassadors and embassies and everything, if you step into an, an embassy, 
from the country you have left the you have left the territory of the country that you started in and you are in the in the in that country so if you're overseas and you enter a US embassy you have entered into US territory and you are under US rules if you go into somebody else's embassy in, in in this country you have left the United States and walked into some other country we are ambassadors for Christ when we when people come into our presence and our possessions they have entered into heaven do you live that way I don't always live that way but we are the representation of Christ to these people we bring heaven into their presence if we're following Christ and Jesus went on to say after they said God forbid he said to them what is it then that is written the stone which the builders rejected the same has become the head of the corner the cornerstone Jesus said that he was the cornerstone Psalm 118 22 and 23 is what he's quoting here that the builders rejected the stone and it was the cornerstone and the cornerstone is that chief stone either in the corner of a building that, that is the standing or on an arch. It's the one that links everything together. It doesn't matter. We don't know which one he's referring to, and it doesn't matter. He said, the cornerstone is being rejected. You are rejecting the most important piece of the foundation of a relationship with God. And this is important for us. As Christians, we have not rejected the, the cornerstone. We have recognized that we are sinners in, in need of a Savior, that we cannot please God. We've accepted Jesus Christ's sacrifice, and he becomes the center of our life if we're truly saved. And this is the important thing. There are many, many people that say a prayer, God, forgive me, and, you know, I'm a sinner, come and forgive, and forgive me, I believe that you died of my sin, and they don't mean a word they said. And they have not made him Lord and Master and this is important for us. If he is your Lord and Master, it should affect your life. It's not going to make you perfect overnight, but it should affect your life. You should be having something changed. Behold, we are a new creation in Christ, according to Corinthians. You know, we are new. We become a brand new creation in Christ. What changed in your life when you became saved? Something should have changed. Maybe lots of things changed. I've known many people, lots of things changed in their life. I've known some that, like myself, just a few things changed. And then over a long period of time, lots have changed. But one of the great aspects of knowing Christ is when you look back over your life and you realize how much has changed in your life without even meaning to. You know, Last year, if, you, if somebody had said that to me, I'd have taken their head off, but now I didn't, I didn't react, or I didn't react as bad. You know, I am now showing love to people that I never thought I could love. I'm being kind. Whatever it might be, we look over our life and say, am I changing and becoming more Christ-like? And it's important for us to be able to look back. I look back over my life and say, wow, where I used to be is so amazing because now I'm nowhere near what I used to be. And I encourage you, look back over your life and say, God, are you really changing me? Are you the Lord of my life and am I seeing great changes or am I just doing lip service to you? Be careful. If it's just lip service, then you might want to look and say, God, do I really know you? 
have I really committed my life to you? And I know most of the people in this room have really committed their life, you know, for the, the, the ones that I get to know really well. But are we truly changing? Then it says, Whosoever shall fall upon the stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it shall grind him to powder. Now this is kind of an interesting statement because he says you're going to be broken either way. Now you have a choice on being broken. You can fall on the stone, Jesus Christ, and he will break your flesh and kill, kill our flesh and let us become godly and live. Or it says the stone will fall on you and totally crush you. Now, when they heard this, they would have been thinking primarily of Isaiah 8, 14, 15, that the stone causes a stumbling block and some get up and some get, get destroyed. But they would also have been thinking of Daniel chapter 2, verses 34 and 35, which is Nebuchadnezzar's dream of the golden statue. And at the very end of the golden statue, it says a stone cut from a mountain with unseen hands came and destroyed the entire image all of history and grounded into a powder and nobody remembered it anymore they would have recognized this and saying he's saying that if you do not come to the stone and be corrected and changed the stone will take you out of existence all of history do you realize that when we're spending eternity in heaven we're not going to be thinking about this moment in time when when all the world was in existence you know, it's an amazing thing. People, you know, people will tell me, well, I know the grandma's up in heaven looking down on me from heaven. Well, you know what? I don't think so. I think grandma, if she's in heaven, she's gazing at Jesus with all of her intent and looking at the Father. And if it is true that you're met at the gates, you know, when you get to heaven, then Jesus would have to be telling them, oh, by the way, you need to go to the gates. Your, your grandson's or granddaughter or grandson's coming in today. You want, you know, go meet them. You know, and I don't know if we're met at the gate or not, but I'm just saying, if, if there is somebody meeting us at the gate, it'll be Jesus saying, oh, by the way, you need, to, you need to go to the gates and meet, meet your relatives. When I get to heaven, I can imagine that I'm going to spend the first thousands, millions of years just gazing on Jesus and being amazed that I'm even there. You know, by his grace, I'm there. And we're not even going to think about this world it will be totally taken out of our heads because it's going to be destroyed. There'll be a new heaven and new earth created and the old will be totally passed away and ground up and, and taken away. And if we remember, it'll be like a dream, like, oh, I kind of remember something way back when. But, you know, these leaders understood that Jesus was saying that you trust me and get changed or you're going to be crushed. They would have remembered things just like the Exodus. Pharaoh would not let the people go. So what did God do? He destroyed Egypt. Ten plagues that totally economically destroyed Egypt. Then when he did release them, he chased them into the Red Sea with his entire army and the army was destroyed. Egypt had no economy, no army. And I'm sure it was one of the many dynasty changes that Egypt went through at that period of time because there was no army to defend and no economy to keep people happy. 
They would have looked at Nebuchadnezzar coming to destroying the, pe destroying the nation and taking them into captivity. They would have thought about all the different activities of the judges when the people rebelled and God brought judgment on them. And they're going, this is what he's talking about. Do we know our Bible well enough that when we hear something of this kind of a small lineup that we go, okay, yes, this is what he's talking about. All through the scriptures, they refer back and say, remember other verses. This is one of the reasons I encourage us. We need to get to know our Bible by reading it and reading through the whole of the Bible. Not just the New Testament, not just our favorite book. And that's a good place to start getting into the New Testament, your, your favorite book, your favorite passage. But eventually you need to take it and read the whole of scriptures to understand where God is coming from and many of the things. Most of us as Gentile believers don't understand much of what's being said in the New Testament because we don't understand the pictures that they're talking about. And we need to. This is why I teach so much of the Old Testament as well because I want us to understand where God is coming from and what he is saying and add that depth to what he's saying. And then by understanding the depth, I start to be able to understand, okay, this is what I need to believe. This is why I need to believe it. God's grace is so wonderful in the Old Testament. And we think of the Old Testament as being just a book of, of, of laws and an angry God. No, his love, his compassion, his mercy is so revealed in the Old Testament as well. And we need to really get to know God in his heart. Because it is so important for us as Christians to say, God loves me, therefore I am free to serve him and attempt things. And I've said this many times, it is sad when you talk to people and what their picture of God is, is somebody up in heaven with lightning bolts ready to strike you if you do something wrong. Not the loving God that cares for us, that says, I died for your sins. Because if our attitude about God is he's just waiting for me to step out of the line and, and, and punish me, then you're never going to do anything for him. Because you're going to be so afraid of doing something wrong, even if you didn't mean to, that you're going to go, I can't trust this God. And we need to learn to trust him and say, God, you're going to love me even if I mess up. You're going to take care of me even if I mess up. All I've got to do is repent and confess, and you're going to take care of me. And this is important for us. Do we truly trust him? If all of our heart, with all of our desire, are we leaning on his desire to love us? He has a good plan for us always. Even when we look around and say, I don't understand what this good plan is, God, it doesn't matter if we understand it or not. You know, I was listening to a story about uh, Fanny Crosby, and if you know, she was one of the great hymn writers. She was blind. And they, they quoted something in this. They said, she felt that she was very fortunate for being blind. And people asked her why, and she goes, because the first thing I'm going to see is the face of my Savior. Do we look at something like that ourselves? When we think everything's going bad, do we look at what is going to be the upside of it? How often does God put us in a hard place so that we will trust him more instead of less? Would we have trusted him that much if we had not been put in the hard place in the first place? Probably not. 
do we look for what God is doing and saying, God, I am so blessed by what you put me through. I have been following God long enough now to begin to understand that when I go through hard times, God has a plan. I may not always understand his plan when I'm going through that plan. And I might not even understand it afterwards for a long time. But everything I've gone through has pushed me closer and closer to God. And that is our choice. When we're going through a hard time, it should push us closer to God. And then as we get closer to God, we become more like him. And then he gets to push us even closer to him. And we get to go through some very hard times sometimes. Don't get me wrong. It's not easy to go through a hard time. But when I know that God is in charge and he has a plan for me, at least it makes it easier to know that there's something good coming. Doesn't mean I'm going to be jumping up and down saying, oh boy, look at, look at what I'm going through. But I can also say, God, you've got a plan and it's going to be a good plan. Don't understand it. Don't know what it's all about. Don't know how it's going to be good, but you have a good plan. Is that where we're at with God? We need to be looking at how do we follow God and what are we looking at for him? Lord, we ask you to bless us as we listen to your word. Lord, for those that are in this room and listening online, we ask first off that they know you as their Lord and Savior and that they have made you Lord. And Lord, for those of us that know you, help us to know that you have a plan and have us really, truly understand and stand strong in your plan. And we just thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, where will you be when you die? We ask this question of a lot of people oftentimes, and the biggest answer we'll get is, I hope I will be in heaven. If hope is your answer, you don't know God, and this is a problem. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of the sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. If you do not know for sure that you're going to go into heaven, please, today, make your decision to follow him. It is simply just ask him, Lord, I am a sinner. Please come into my life and save me and make him your Lord. If you've said that prayer, let us know so that we can send you a new believers packet. You can contact us at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or even pastor at chloridebaptistchurch.com. Or you can just send us a regular letter at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona. 86431. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day.